This is Pete Moore on Halo Talks NYC. I have the pleasure of bringing in a old and dear friend, Brent Leffel, Newport Beach, by way of 15th Street, New York City, my next door neighbor. Welcome to the show, finally. Thanks for having me, Pete. I was waiting for the invitation. Excellent. Well, you're uh, you're in the queue, number probably around number 400. So save the best for 400. So you've had a uh, illustrious career uh, starting off in finance. You want to give your uh, your shortened background, and uh, then we're going to talk about what's going on at TRX. Sure, absolutely. So I, I worked in banking and private equity for a number of years, and you actually introduced me to this industry back in 2005. Uh, at the time, Crunch was an orphan division of Bally, and uh, you came to my old firm with an idea of acquiring it, and we were looking to acquire uh, distressed companies, and we did that, and that uh, transitioned into a couple of years of trying to figure out how to to get Crunch on the right track, that culminated. We didn't really do that until I met uh, Mark Mastrov after he uh, had left, at, had sold 24 Hour, and one of his partners, Jim Rowling, another partner, Mike Feeney, they came in, started operating Crunch for my old firm, did quite well, and then we restructured the business with them, uh, and it just it, it really took off. Uh, spent a couple years uh, at my old firm, Angela Gordon, with them. And then I left and I joined them to start a business called New Evolution Ventures, which uh, was a branded portfolio of health and fitness businesses. Uh, and we really spanned the gamut from company-owned stores, company-owned locations, franchise. We bought and sold, you know, a few businesses and it was global. You know, we were in 25, 30 countries. You know, my role initially was M&A, business development strategy, and then I got involved in operations over time, you know, under the the, the leadership and mentorship of, of Mark and Jim. So I had a really good uh, broad experience, and I left back in 2017, uh, spent a little time with uh, the North Castle Partners folks and, and Barry's Bootcamp. I had invested with them uh, and was on the board, so spent some time as they were starting their international business, and, you know, then... Uh, also spent a bunch of time with some folks that you introduced me to, Kirk and John Galliani. Uh, that was, you know, a business we got involved with at New Evolution Ventures when they had five clubs uh, after they had sold Golds with their new business, One Life Fitness, that they grew to about 40 at the time. Uh, and then I decided to start my own uh, boutique private equity firm uh, to invest in businesses that I knew. And that led me to TRX, which, you know, we acquired at the end of 18. And it's been a wild ride. And, and what's different about us is that we act as both the investor and we get involved in the, you know, the management and the operations as needed. And I've been, you know, involved in that capacity with TRX really since inception. So it's been, you know, two years and it's been, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of, of great learnings and great fun. That's awesome. So, you know, you, your firm and you individually have the benefit of being in private equity but also spending full-time stints as either the CEO or, or operating a business. Uh, how do you think, and, I, and I'll give you my response, but how much do you appreciate the, the operation, the execution, the team building versus when you were back at Angelo Gordon, you know, and you and I were plugging things into an Excel spreadsheet and just putting growth rates on them. So, uh, so we have, so I'm playing this role with TRX is, you know, in an operating capacity. My business partner is doing the same thing with a, a business, a, a medical aesthetic retail business called UbMe. And 
you know, I always like to say that Microsoft Excel is an amazing thing because it can tell you whatever you want. When you and I were back in the day plugging in, you know, growth rates, you know, it's like you're playing a video game. Um, and the other thing that that I've learned over the past few years is the thing you can't model is people and culture. And that is the most important thing in these businesses. And I remember, you know, I feel I wish I knew, you know, then what I know now, all my time in private equity, we were focused on the wrong things. We should have been focused on, do you have the right people running the business? Are you supporting them the right way? Are you pushing on the right things? You know, I used to be great at asking a million, you know, detailed granular questions, which weren't the right questions. And it's more about setting the strategy, make sure that, that the, uh, you know, that the team's in place and just supporting and, and letting it move forward. And, and that's been a, you know, a key learning that I've had over the course of the past few years, really, you know, seeing it more from the operating side than the, the other side of it. And, and when you start off, you know, I, I've tinkered around with some very early stage businesses. Um, you and I have looked at doing some much larger deals. You know, what do you think is either your sweet spot or, or the sweet spot to be able to come in and say, okay, I could fix this or I could tweak it or I could change the strategy uh, where it's not necessarily trying to turn a, turn a cruise ship around. So what's like your comfort zone on size of a company to start with? Uh, So I'd say my comfort zone is companies that are running out of cash because I unfortunately have, uh, have, have had a good career of having to, that's what we did at Angelo Gordon is we bought distressed companies and I'm, I'm pretty, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've unfortunately had a lot of experience with having to navigate through, you know, those types of issues. But look, starting a business and coming up with the initial idea, that's, that's the fun part. And I, in some respects, there, there's no parts the easy part. I, I'd say the the, the main part is from an execution standpoint, what you actually do with the idea and how you build it and take it forward. And a lot of that is making, you know, it's liquidity. It's, you know, making the right bets and it's getting the right people in place. And I would say, you know, I've been involved really from the beginning to, you know, it, to, you know, through later stage companies that are, you know, where there's real structural issues that can't be fixed. And I, I really, uh, think uh, getting involved at the front end before and, and really drawing upon a lot of past learnings and experiences to put the right structure, you know, systems, reporting people in place. That's something that I uh, enjoy a lot more, you know, and I've, but, but, and that comes from, you know, frankly, doing all that, making a lot of mistakes and, and kind of understanding now what's required when you have to unwind them. Well, a lot of people have heard me on these podcasts talk about experiences, what you get when you don't get what you want. So hopefully you take all those experiences and turn them into uh, learnings that were almost like flashing uh, yellow lights to know, okay, look, I know what's going to happen if we go down this, this, this ramp or a colder sack, um, you know, switching over and talking about TRX, obviously strong brand, somewhat of a commodity product that turned into a branded you know, suspension uh, system and, and platform, definitely a strong cult following, uh, big distributed network of trainers in the space. So when you first took a look at putting capital into the business, what were some of the themes that you thought were interesting from the DNA of the business and, and where you could take it and uh, obviously it's take, takes time to roll out a new programs. So we're going to talk about your, your digital presence after that. 
Randy Patrick, the founder, who's just an incredible guy, uh, he and I had become good friends, you know, through the industry during my days at NEB. You know, I had him speak at, uh, we, we had him speak at one of our, you know, big conferences. I had him, we, we just had become friends over the year. And I always admired, you know, at Ursa, I think I went to Ursa with you the first time back in 2005 or 2006. And Every year, I just always admired how T-Rex, that was the fun, the most fun. Everybody just seemed to love T-Rex, and it's kind of, it was like the Solomon of the industry. And I always thought to myself, wow, it's a great brand. And, you know, the product, you said it's a commodity product. It's it's actually not. We have, it, it's patented, you know, so so Randy kind of invented suspension training, you know, this whole, what became suspension training. And it just, the brand had such a good origin story, and he built it brick by brick, and he had huge support from the trainer community. And I always thought before I had even thought about acquiring T-Rex, I thought, wow, that that business is so much smaller than the brand. Mm-hmm. And so when, when acquiring it, you know, the, the business was, it, it's pretty small international and the, the fitness industry outside of the U.S. is about four times as big as in the U.S. You know, and I spent, you know, a number of years with a backpack traveling all over the place. And I thought, okay, we can, you know, there's a lot of things that we can do to, to grow the business. And then there's a lot of just like structural things around, you know, the way it was organized from a supply chain standpoint. Um, and the other thing that was kind of amazing was that T-Rex never spent any more, very limited mar- money on marketing. So it was all grassroots. And, you know, that, that was part of it in getting involved. You know, once I got involved, you know, there was just a lot of moving pieces. Um, and, you know, it, it, it was, um, you know, changing the, you know, we, we made some additions to the, and, and, modifications to the team, but also the environment, tariffs, uh, you know, supply chain issues, channel shift. What I underestimated was T-Rex was very promotional. I, you know, they were probably on sale 320 of 365 days a year. So just figuring out how to work through that, that just took some time, um, but just kind of stuck with it. And then, you know, through COVID, you know, we really changed, uh, you know, quite a bit. Um, you know, we, we, we changed our organizational structure to, you know, kind of index uh, behind some of the growth areas. We expanded our distribution, um, you know, and, and most importantly, we brought in a CMO, which the company hadn't had. And we, you know, started really kind of figuring out well, what's our strategy, because we always had a strategy of creating a platform for all these trainers. You know, we've qualified over 300,000 trainers globally. It's mm-hmm. a big number. But that just that just morphed and evolved. And over the course of the past year, you know, we, we honed in on, you know, our model, which was creating this digital platform, which was for, you know, trainers and consumers, which we launched about a month ago. And it's really to be of service to the whole, you know, fitness ecosystem, which I think is, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I've been on, you know, a few of these and some panels and everyone asks, well, what's going to happen? Are the gyms going away and at home or is at home the minute, you know, that the vaccine rolls out is at home going away and it's the gyms. And I think I think we're going to live in this unique world where the gyms are always going to be the center of the universe, and there's going to be a hybrid, you know, strategy. This didn't start during COVID. This has been happening for a ten-year period or whatever it is. It just accelerated. I think the most important thing, and you may have the data, is I think that the demand for fitness. I think the actual demand side of the equation increased, you know, over the course of this past year. That's good for everybody, and and yep. you know the consumption patterns we have to figure out. So I know. I, you know, I, I kind of rambled a little bit there through my journey on T-Rex, but that's that's kind of how I got involved, and that's that's how we have evolved. Yeah, no, that that that's a great summary, and we'll talk a little bit more about where T-Rex 
fits in the ecosystem of the bricks and mortar. Before I get to that, how do you think about being an investor and being an operator? You technically bought a products company, and now you're somewhat running a digital marketing and technology company that has hardware-enabled platforms. So how do you kind of get your mind around you're a technology guy. You, you can't help it now because every company is a technology company. So how, how do you think about that? Because we used to try and get stay away from technology as investors in our private equity, uh, you know, historical lens. Yeah, you know, um, there's a lot to that question, but but the one overarching part of it is as we built our platform, you know, we had a, a partner, you know, someone that I've worked with for a long time, you know, the trust you know, greatly that's been deeply embedded in the, the digital tech space in the, the fitness industry. And then second, we just uh, two weeks ago brought on, you know, someone to run that business unit, chief digital officer and general manager. And from my vantage point, I, I'm, I don't understand technology. And, and frankly, I'm, that's not what, that's not my job, you know, and, mm-hmm. and it's coming up with, you know, being able to kind of conceptualize and, you know, work with those groups and then hire the right people and just try to make sure that we're, you know, well capitalized. And, you know, I hate to use this phrase, but let it rip. I'm, I'm just trying to put the right guardrails in place, but just make a bet on those, the, the people. And, you know, I, that, that to me has been an evolution. You know, when you and I were, you know, kind of spending a lot of time together, we both would have spent a lot of time asking a lot of questions and trying to really understand it. And the best question is, do I have the right person? And does this make sense, the strategy? And let them do their job. Yeah. You know, I, a couple of things that you've, you've said without saying is you're there as a CEO or as a private equity, um, you know, entity to, to provide support to people in the field. So you're kind of running an inverted org chart and you, do you kind of view yourself now more as I'll handle the trampoline. I'll make sure we don't hit the ground, but you know, I'm here to serve you in the field and put you in the right places. Cause I, I, I feel like that's a theme that's kind of transcending into how you do business. You know, um, <laughs> it's funny how you describe that. So my, my former, uh, uh, business partner and, and, you know, Mark Mastrove, that's, that's the one thing I've, I've learned. I, I learned actually over time how much I learned. And that's the one thing I learned is that he, he, he always used to say it's an upside down pyramid and, you know, he sits at the bottom and his job is just to support everyone. And, you know, and look, that's hard to do because sometimes, especially when you, you know, working on wall street, that's exactly, you know, you, sometimes you just jump in and get it done. But the best thing is just to, you know, just to do that and just to, to provide support. And I always like to, that that's a great way of that. That's a very evolved way of thinking. And that's how I'm trying to, you know, operate and, and manage. And, you know, I don't do a great job all the time, but I think that's exactly, I think that's the only way to do it, you know, or else you can't, you know, otherwise you're just running around in circles. Yeah. So, so TRX, you've got TRX live. I've got my straps. Thank you. I've got my login that I paid for. Thanks for the comp on that. As you think about what the health clubs and the boutique studios are trying to do digitally and create a hybrid experience, there aren't any TRX studios that they're competing against. You are directly embedded with getting products into the sector to train trainers. So how do you think about coming, becoming embedded in their digital platform or 
you know, is there a new relationship between TRX and a health club that includes, I'm, I'm basically certifying your trainers, you, you know, there, there's a, here's a, an area of the club that's the TRX area, just kind of like Nordstrom's and Sephora have done for 20 years. So like, here's your area and you manage this area uh, and you get to benefit from my brand. So how, how do you think about that? Or let's, let's talk openly about what the future could hold if, if bricks and mortar groups kind of embrace what you're delivering. Yeah. So, so I, I think uh, this is a good topic to just riff on a little bit. Cause I, I think um, there, there's a lot of talk about we're going to live in this hybrid world. And then there's a lot of talk about, you know, well, how, how do you do that? And, you know, I know that um, you've been a big, you know, advocate, and I completely agree. And I'm of, you know, the gyms will come back and they will continue to be the the power source. And I think that over the, I think that's proving out, you know, the initial, you know, results as we kind of over the past couple months with the rollout of the vaccine. I think this is all, this is going to be figured out. And I think it's going to take some time. So I, I just, I, I honestly, um, this whole, I think we are going to live in a hybrid world. And I think there's a lot of external factors that are going to play out this whole work from home that, that we, we just don't know. And, you know, our strategy is the, the heart and soul of TRX, the, the trainers, and also the, the clubs, that's how TRX was built. And it's to continue to be of service, you know, and, and to be a support system, uh, you know, for those groups. And so in terms of, you know, how that manifests, you know, I'm not, I'm not really sure, you know, it's been business as usual. And, you know, we've been, you know, kind of observing what's happening, having a lot of conversations. And we, we just want to, you know, make sure that, 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 you know, as I said, TRX has been the Solomon of, you know, the industry. We want to we continue doing that. We want to, you know, just help everyone become, be, continue to be successful. Well, I think one part that could be really interesting is as the billing category has consolidated, you really only have five big billing software companies. I think you're going to have probably two or three big video on demand platforms, one of them in Televideo, Forte, maybe Uscreen, a couple others. They are going to become repositories of everyone's content that could potentially be shuffled around into other libraries on different white label sites. I mean, I've been doing, I was doing websites back in 2003 and we were uh, trying to do something like this. Now the delivery system's there. So from your standpoint, you know, TRX live is, could, could potentially be the go-to on their site. Uh, it could be a channel. Uh, it could be something where you have the opportunity to do something that's hybrid where you actually put your TRX instructors in the club and you say, Hey, look, let's do a couple of sessions a week inside and you can follow me or you could do my workouts with me on, on TRX live, but inside the, you know, garden walls of, of a club's platform that's already seamlessly integrated. And then Ganolin, you, you know, maybe you want to jump in here, given your, uh, you know, you ran around the country for a long time selling kettlebells and kettlebell concepts and certification. So I did. what's your thoughts on, what's your thoughts on kind of TRX getting themselves more embedded on the digital side, just as they have on the product side? Oh yeah, I think it's a no-brainer. I mean, I, I I was proven wrong where I thought, oh, you can't do kettlebells, you know, digitally, and and uh, it needs hand-to-hand -hand instruction. And to some extent, that's still absolutely true because it's it's a very involved uh, skill. 
And in fact, when I first met Randy and saw TRX at the trade shows, my thought was exactly the same. Like, are you kidding me? Suspension training? People are going to hurt themselves. They don't even know where their shoulders are. People are generally uncoordinated. This this is a hand hands-on thing for sure. And I think uh, I think I was wrong on that too. And 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 the move to digital with TRX with great instructors is is the next iteration. I mean, maybe there are certain things that couldn't and shouldn't be taught digitally. And I would argue that certain elements of kettlebells and certain elements of suspension training are inclusive in that. But otherwise, it's a great way to get people or trainers feet wet in either modality for sure. Yeah, you know, you know, what's so interesting is that uh, I've been training, and this is how we came up with the, the general thesis for, our, you know, our digital platform is at the beginning of COVID, I started training with a couple friends, with some trainers that we have in London, virtually. And that group's grown. We now have 10 folks. Uh, most are on the West Coast, a couple are on the East Coast. And uh, 6 a.m., our trainers are in London. We started off working out with straps. And then that progressed. We all got kettlebells. You know, and T-Rex sells kettlebells, which a lot of people don't know. That progression was amazing. And I, I'd never really used kettlebells. And I thought, my God, these 10 guys, everyone's going to get hurt. Everybody, you know, we, we've kind of, it's, it's become the, integrated into every single workout and it's it's really just um it's quite amazing so i i think that that's proven out and and the other thing is people figured out how to do that it goes back to something that you know pete i know you'll have a a a lot of perspective on this you know when people are talking about the industry and i don't know what the you would know the stats i think one of the biggest issues is the labor you know and i don't i think it's the clubs are recovering the personal training you know, I, I, um, and, and everything I've been involved in, you know, it, it's very rare that in, when personal training revenue is down, it's almost always because you don't have enough trainers and it's because, you know, a trainer left or whatever it may be. And with the recovery of the industry, that's a big issue, you know, in terms of how do you get these trainers back? Do they get absorbed back into the economy? Do they figure out how to do, you know, whatever it may be. And I don't know that that's been sorted. I know a bunch of, some of the billing companies have, you know, there's some, some options for trainers, but I think that that's one of the keys. It's not only the videos, but it's like, hey, is there a way to to incorporate, you know, some of this virtual training so that when you have when when Pete Moore is training in your club and he goes on vacation for a couple of weeks to the Hamptons, it's like, hey, Pete, take your you know your bands and let's you know let's kind of patch in at this time, and that way you're not losing production and the trainers, you know, they continue to maintain that. And I just think that that's a that's an interesting topic I've been thinking about. And I haven't figured out what the the solution's going to be. Yeah. I mean, using your terms, you know, from structurally, I think the clubs need to rethink how trainers get compensated. The best trainers that are, you know, whether it's on the soul cycle or whether it's Barry's Boot Camp or on the um, Peloton, you know, they're, they're making six figure salaries and, and they, they're earning it because they're bringing in the revenue. There was a guy who worked at soul cycle before he, uh, tailed off to uh, Aiken's army. Uh, he, I think he was generating some like $7 million a year for, for soul cycle, you know? So should you pay that instructor 20% of revenue? Why not? <laughs> if you're bringing in the revenue, I'm happy to share it with you uh, and be generous about it. So I think clubs might have to reassess the value of a trainer, the revenue they're bringing in. And if that trainer wants to do workouts in the park or wants to have their own clients that are um, outside of the 
current club framework, I think they might be in a position where you have to accommodate those people. I mean, they're, they're artists, they're celebrities, they're high intensity athletes, and they're going to want to have the freedom to do what they want to do at the same time. They don't want to be doing training from their garage or from their apartment. So there's got to be a land-based component to training. I don't see face-to-face as going away in person. I think there's a lot of pent-up demand for people to have a, a enhanced level of socialization almost to make up for a year of not having it. So I think it's actually a 2X. I couldn't get a parking spot the other day down on Manhattan Beach Boulevard. Um, look, everybody's out. Yeah, they they want to be yeah. out going to dust off their personalities and get back into socializing again. So I don't know if we came up with an answer here, but I do feel that the trainers need to be looked at differently. The clubs need to stop answering questions. When I say, what is that trainer worth to you? And they say, well, I pay that person $35 a class. That's not the answer. The answer is what is this person doing that generates a material amount of revenue and retention for my business. And I think the interesting part of TRX to switch gears slightly is me putting the TRX logo or banner either in front on a window in the back of my club uh, in a section. I think it creates real additional brand equity to the club. And if you could help solve one of the problems right now, to your point, I was with a client the other day, owns 25 health clubs. And he said, I can't get people to join, to, to work for me because they're $3,100 a month from the state of California. So I, I can't compete with that. It's supposed to be a safety net right now. It's just like a, you know, like a sofa bed. So that's one of the things that hopefully goes away at some point And people realize that we're not running, you know, a socialist society here and everyone should just kind of wake up whenever they want and, report to work if they feel like it. So that's my conservative fiscal hat on. However, I feel like TRX might be in a position to say, Hey, look, you don't have trainers. I got trainers. I'll drop ship them into your club that they'll be more than happy to come in here. Do you have the latest TRX equipment? All right, I'll get them there, but you got to have the best stuff. And I'll, I'll basically out, you know, you can outsource some of your personal training group exercise to me and I'll do it through the web and I'll actually give you the personnel that you can't find on your own because maybe somebody doesn't want to, you know, work at Pete's fitness, but they'll work for TRX because I'm independent. And if you want to have me work at Pete's fitness a couple of days a week, I'm, I'm cool with that. I haven't, I'm not the trainer at Pete's fitness. Or I'm not a trainer at, I don't know, snap, right. I'm a, I'm a TRX guy. So it's almost like I keep my, my leopard stripes of being who I want to be as like, I want to be affiliated with TRX and I want to work in other places. I don't necessarily want to go into a club. So maybe that equates to TRX becomes almost like an outsourced personal training staffing company. Maybe that's how things potentially evolve. Wow. That's, that's a, uh, that, that's, that's some uh, big thinking there around how that this whole, this all evolves. I, I think that's so interesting, you know, in, in, in put TRX to the side, you know, over the evolution of the industry, there were, outsourced personal training companies, you know, for a period of time, you know, I think you and I, we spent some time, you know, on that over the years and it's a, uh, it's just, you know, uh, uh, so one of my, my partners and, um, that one, one of the senior members of the team at, uh, TRX is a guy named Nassari Mejia, who's 
he's amazing. I don't know if you know Nassari or not, but he I ran, he grew up in, you know, the 24 hour fitness, you know, in, within 24 hour fitness. And then he, you know, within, I, I met him through NEV, he ran training at crunch and then he was involved really all over the world. And so he, uh, you know, op, he oversees and directs a number, you know, the areas of our business, including our education, you know, much of the operation. And we've been spending a lot of time talking about this, you know, because that, it, this whole, it's just disruptive and no one knows with this labor force, you know, what's going to happen. And, and a couple of things about virtual, you know, it, it's lonely, right? Like trainers, like, I don't think that works long-term that, that these trainers are going to work in their home. You have internet issues, you have, you know, roommates, you have, you know, just being alone. You know, so so there's some kind of there. There's a lot to what you just said. It just has to be sorted out. And I think that again, I think the clubs are the power base. And it just it, it's how are the how is this going to work for the clubs going forward? In different parts of the world, tr personal training works differently. For mm -hmm. instance, in Australia, you know, the standard is they have a rental model. That's the way it works. Is that the trainers pay? You know, most clubs trainers pay rent. So I just I think this is going to. There's a lot that's going to be. Uh, it's going to happen here over time. And, you know, I think that will present a lot of, you know, kind of interesting opportunities. Yeah. I mean, the trainers and the instructors definitely have more power than they used to and can sustain some semblance of their, their lifestyle they want by just operating on their own. However, if you look at most sole practitioners in every industry, they gravitate towards being part of a service organization, they gravitate towards being part of a brand that's a franchisor, uh, even personal trainers that want to start their own location, they'll go pay $3,600 for the CrossFit license because they don't want it to say, you know, Ganolin's kettlebell, you know, training center, right? They want some connectivity, one from a branding standpoint. But I think at the end of the day, most people are, are getting somebody else's brand because it gives them a sense of security that they're really not in it alone, even though they know they are in it alone. It gives them at least a little bit of a springboard. Yeah, you know, I, I think that's right. And the other thing is that that a trainer wants to train, right? And and one of the issues with a lot that, that it really happened over COVID, it's, okay, I got to figure out how to set up a Stripe account and how to you know, get my Zoom link and then get this calendar that doesn't link in and then my internet's, you know, so so part of the, um, I think one of the the opportunities is really to aggregate everything and make it like super easy. So it's like, hey, what is your, what are you here to do? I'm here to train and I have the the tool that's going to enable me to train. I'm not here to be, you know, the, the IT department of, you know, my apartment building or whatever, maybe to figure out how all this stuff snaps together. I, there's definitely all that stuff's going to, it's going to happen even in the clubs. That's the, you know, that's so important is that you, you just make it simple so that they can, you know, that, that they can perform their craft. Yeah. I was with a guy uh, last night for a uh, drink who owns clubs up in Oregon. And he said, we don't do one-on-one -on -one personal training. It's only, it, it can only be allowed to be group. And all of his personal trainers are full-time employees because if they're not full-time employees, I can't keep them. And if I don't do group training, I can't generate enough revenue per hour to keep them. So he's backed into his business model by trying to accommodate what it takes to retain an employee. 
instead of saying, Hey, this is what a 10 pack's worth. And then let me figure out how to service it. So it kind of backed into almost what you were talking about before. What does the person on the front line need from me? And he viewed himself at the bottom of that inverted period saying, what do I need to do to keep you here? One, I want benefits. Two, I want to get paid every hour. Three, I want to have enough activity going on where I'm, I'm busy. And then you got me, right? So he, he backed into that by understanding the needs of his potential or, or current employee, instead of coming up with some wild ass strategy on, you know, five group at sessions at the same time, and you could use them in different rooms, but you're not allowed to go in this room without three other people. It's like, all right, what do I need to do to retain my, my personal training staff? And then uh, we'll that's, take it from there. I think that's so smart. And, you know, trainers, what, what, what your, uh, your, your client or, you know, friend is doing it, it's exactly that. It's it's enabling them to do what they're great at, what they want to do, which is train. Because the other part is they don't want to sell. You know, like a lot of trainers, they don't want to do that. They're not, you know, that that's an issue. And, you know, they might be a great trainer, but they're just uncomfortable, whatever it may be. And you're, you know, I'd imagine that that he's figured out a, you know, way to position them. And and I'm sure that the, uh, I, I would bet that his uh, productivity is much greater, you know, than, you know, than a probably was before he did that. So that's pretty interesting. Yeah. And the other, the other takeaway I've had recently is there's a very, very high margin that you can make on the digital, but you're not going to retain that unless you have a personal relationship that's inside the club. So I think what people should do, and this is the first time I've been telling something, telling people something that might take away some of their money optically at first, but everybody says, I got a 50% personal training margin on all my revenue that comes in from personal training. What if you said, you know what? I'm only going to take 35%. That's the maximum I will take. Or 30%, just like Uber or Lyft. Like, uh, I'm basically providing as much revenue as I can to the person that is providing the service. And I am basically your back office. And what the clubs have the ability to do is I'll make that up on the digital membership. That's got a 92%, you know, contribution margin for that. So I think people might actually need to recalibrate how much they're willing to pay a trainer or instructor in order to retain them. And also to say, you know what, if I'm selling a product that is a person that has a, a labor component to it, should I really make 50% on that? Doesn't that sound high anyway? Yeah. I mean, so in fitness, the, the key is to, uh, to make the experience inelastic just so that, that, that member needs it. And, and, you know, back, I don't know if you remember this, but the, in the early days of crunch, you know, we, I learned that the, uh, three, the, probably the three most important words are you look great. You know, I remember that we, uh, we acquired crunch and we had someone checking, this is back in 2005 or some around there. And we were, you know, at, to get it by, to, buy a membership at Crunch, you had to get your, we had a fat caliber and you had to get your, and that, that was the best way to prevent people from ever coming back again. So I think part of this, like the reason for telling the story is you, you want, you want everybody to create that. And it's about the more that the trainer can focus on, or the group X instructor can focus on creating that like amazing experience where, you know, the, the, the consumer is getting a great result, you know, like fitness fundamentally is people don't like to work out. It's, it's like counter to human behavior, but where they like it, where they feel like a, they got a good workout, they accomplish something and they get some kind of affirmation. That's the key. And, and all this other, you know, regardless of, 
you know, I think that regardless of if it's in your garage or it's in a gym or it's in whatever, it, it all comes down to the same kind of foundational elements. And, you know, I don't know if this is off topic from what the, the point you're making, but I think that's, that's the key to how this all works. And, right. and I think it's just the manifestation of that. It, it, you know, it's, I haven't actually brought this up yet on any of the podcasts, but if you said to me, okay, a year ago today, I would like everyone to gain on average 24 pounds. So when I am allowed to sell them a membership, I know that they want to lose weight because they had that 24 pounds off and they've aggregated that at two pounds a month over the pandemic. If that's not a reason to say, hey, I can actually show you results where some clubs are on a self-serve model and God bless them because they brought in Planet and some of these other low-cost operators have gotten 16, 17 million people off the couch. But once you've gotten into that and you're, you're not intimidated by going into a club, well, that's great. I could, I could actually guarantee you, you will lose 24 pounds. That that's a given. And, and to your point, the price of that 24 pounds to the average person is worth thousands of dollars yet we're charging them a couple hundred dollars and there's no initiation fee and your first month's free. Like we got to get rid of all that nonsense. Cause anytime you want anything else in life, you have to pay for it. Yeah. And it goes back to this whole inelasticity. Like, you know, once you, uh, and that, that's why I don't remember the ex exact step, but the, the lifetime value of a health club member that does either personal training or takes classes is significantly greater than someone that, that doesn't. And, and it, you know, it's, it's because of that. It's because you're, you're delivering that result. And look, the other thing that I've been thinking about a lot is the convergence of or, or nutrition, right? Like you can't out you can't out train your fork. It's impossible. <laughs> you just it doesn't work, right? And I think that more and more everybody that gained 24 pounds, you know, it's it's pretty simple. It's like, well, you you know, multiply that by how many calories you know in a pound, and then you know, you, <laughs> it's math. Right. And I think that more and more there's going to be convergence. We had a business at AV called Dot Fit, which was a just a fantastic guy, Neil Spruce. And uh, that was basically selling that program and supplements through trainers. And that's that's such an important part of this. And it's also the education of the deliverers, which are the trainers. And it's it's really like, hey, I get I'm a certified personal trainer. I I think that over time that should, there should be a nutritional component because what I found you know, 100% of the consumer thinks that their trainer knows a lot about nutrition and the number of trainers that probably know, you know, it's probably less than 20%. It's mm -hmm. just, it's a gap. And that's one of the things that, that creates a result and it creates that you look great. Yeah, I know you worked out for an hour, but you're you're eating right because you, you know what you're doing or you're, you know, whatever it may be. Yeah. So in closing here, you got any good uh, uh, business quotes or personal quotes for us? Uh, yeah, my, you know, my best business quote is such a simple one. And, and I think you, you remember, uh, one of my, uh, business partners, uh, at Angelo Gordon, a, a guy that we did a supermarket deal with named Jim Demi, who I, he was amazing. He, he unfortunately has passed away a few years ago. Uh, he said, used to say, uh, something, two simple things. He used to say, great plans, get great results. That's as simple as it is. And he also used to say, figure out what's good before you determine it's bad. And going back to the beginning of this conversation, I think that, you know, as I've learned over time, that's the key is when you go into a situation, you know, uh, my instinct years ago was just, you know, a little scorched earth. And it's like, hey, let's figure out what's good because that surprises you to the positive 
you know, a negative. And another thing that I've adopted, you know, with some of our team, you know, over the, the past year or so is, is whatever comes into your head needs to come out of your mouth, you know, meaning that there's no, you know, you got to speak your mind and you got to, you know, with, with our business, cause there's, you know, the only bad question is one that doesn't get asked. So, you know, you asked me for one and I gave you three. How no, I love that? it. That's great. That's great. All right, man. I look forward to seeing you in person uh, down in Newport, as well as uh, I'm assuming we'll see you down in Dallas for the URSA event and uh, join the TRX live training. Will you be there? Absolutely. And and thank you both for uh, having me. I was uh, I was excited to get finally get the invite and and it's been a lot of fun. Thank you for well, just for everybody's everyone's background. There was a podcast done a couple of years ago, but it was not <laughs> rated for the airwaves. So well, it'll be the you, archives are there a hidden hidden link for those chosen yes. ones. So we, <laughs> we 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 uh, for five years. What were we neighbors for five years at twenty two West fifty second or West fifteenth Street 15th. in Manhattan? Yeah, and I think the confidentiality agreement that we have, we were both much younger then. Uh, that's a uh, evergreen confidentiality agreement. Stays so we'll, in place. Stays in place forever. So if you ever live next to me, anyone on this podcast, and you have a balcony and there's a wall between it, don't think I cannot scale it because I'll get there. <laughs> I, I I can validate that. I can right. vouch, thanks, vouch thanks for that. your Thank socks. Thank you so much. And, thanks for your socks and your Wi-Fi and for your contributions to the industry on a serious note. Good to see you, brother. <laughs> thanks, guys. <laughs> thanks, Brent. I want to thank my friends at Burn BR. R-R-N for sponsoring this podcast. They are the innovative company behind the world-renowned burn board. Many of you don't know, I was one of the top roller hockey players in all of Nassau County back in 1988 to 1990. If I had a burn board, watch out, I would probably be an NHL legend. Got a seven-day free trial on their on-demand library of hundreds of workouts. $30 off the purchase. Check it out at shop.theburn.com. We'll have it in the show notes. Use the checkout code HALO and go burn it on the burn board. Ice hockey in your living room at home fitness. Low cost, low tech, low impact. Go HALO, burn it up.